1: This is Bloomberg Sound
2: Off.
3: When you have such a slim majority, it means that there's going to be
2: compromises.
4: One way to draw more people into the workforce and to draw them in productively is to pay them a higher wage.
1: Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names.
2: Inflation is running much higher than the Fed projected. There is a monitoring system that many big corporations are really
4: contemplating as to sort of how do we keep the employees that are inside healthy. Bloomberg Sound
1: On. We with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio.
0: We head for a working weekend here in Washington. Lawmakers inching closer to yet another bipartisan deal on infrastructure. They hope to have it done, they say, by early next week. We're watching Monday very closely. We're going to talk about it next with Congressman Kevin Brady, Republican from Texas, who says there are red lines for the House GOP when it comes to infrastructure. We'll look at what those are and ask him as well if this week's OPEC deal We'll keep shale drilling quiet this year in Texas. Later, we'll tackle new sanctions from China with James Lewis of the Center for Strategic and International Studies. Thanks for meeting us here at the threshold of the weekend, even though at least some people will, again, be working through the weekend around here, namely the group of senators negotiating the infrastructure bill. Spending levels on transit and water remain issues, along with, well, how to pay for it all. We're joined to talk about this and some other important issues today with Congressman Kevin Brady, Republican from Texas, who's the ranking member on the House Ways and Means Committee. Congressman, welcome back to Bloomberg Radio.
2: Yo, Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.
0: Your colleagues in the Senate say we're near a deal on infrastructure. Will you or other Republicans in the House support the plan that Republican senators eventually agree to, assuming that happens?
2: Yeah, the, the short answer is not if it is tied to the $3.5 trillion Taxing and spending uh, bill. Um, Infrastructure itself, I think, is bipartisan. I'm pretty optimistic we can actually find consensus on where we should invest in infrastructure. I think there's a way to pay for it. No, I'm convinced there's a way to pay for it without these crippling tax increases. But for some reason, I think you know when Joe Biden uh, linked uh, the infrastructure bill, and then later uh, Speaker Pelosi and, and today. Leader Schumer are insisting it be linked. You know, that'll make it uh, impossible for Republican support, because if you link the tax increases to the infrastructure, America actually becomes a net loser economically, and it'll be crippling to the economy.
0: Now, paying for it, you just put your finger on it, paying for it has been obviously a problem. As ranking member on the Ways and Means Committee, I wonder, for starters, did you think it was smart or fair to remove funding from IRS enforcement that was first put in the plan?
2: You know, I think that is a uh, closing the tax, ga- tax gap. It's something I think both parties have been working on for decades now. Uh, it is it is more complicated than simply adding more uh, IRS agents to it. The agency has always admitted that that closes a small part of the gap. and And the recent estimates prove that there is some money there, but not what people believe and so, yeah, I think that was uh, uh, probably the, the right decision to make. But, but there is still a gap. And Republicans, uh, we are going to be introducing legislation that shows the first thing we need to do is a real concrete analysis of that tax gap. Because the information the IRS is using is seven years old uh, and is coupled with a lot of just wild estimates on issues like cryptocurrency, foreign transactions, issues, uh, concealed income issues like that. Let's get a real analysis, which will tell us what the real solution is. We want to be part of that solution.
0: Because you know what, you know, the average person listening says, well, geez, if I don't pay my taxes, I get in a lot of trouble. How come we shouldn't simply enforce the rules on the books? But you're saying that the method is is antiquated. Is that right?
2: It, it really is. And it, it is difficult to determine what it is and where it comes from. One thing that's always struck me, the, the many years we've worked with IRS commissioners of both parties is what they will tell you privately is what they need on in in information reporting will be so intrusive on families and farmers and local businesses that they they've never really proposed it because the American people won't stand for it and I think the, their recent proposal to uh, force banks to Report the the uh, uh, total transactions in your personal bank account or your business bank account, and the react strong reaction against that is an example. So we've got to find a way to do this, but I don't think adding 40,000, 80,000 new IRS agents is going to get the job done.
0: So then the big question, Congressman, how do we
2: pay for it? Well, the good news is that was only a small part of uh, the pay for's for that. they um, have got a laundry list of about a dozen or so uh, some of them more real than others uh, and I think the Senate is trying to work through what are budget gimmicks and what are real pay fors uh, there is you know a tax increase superfund uh, tax increase that hasn't been around for twenty five years they're putting in place that's going to have a damaging effect on workers in uh, chemical companies and refineries for example but I think they have the ability To close that that gap on funding, uh, the IRS was only a small part of it.
0: Is the funding side adequate? We've heard complaints by some members, at least those negotiating the deal, Congressman, that there's not enough for water or sanitation. There might not be enough for mass transit, according to another.
2: You know, I think in effect of doubling investments, uh, federal investments in all that infrastructure and the true infrastructure we're looking at. is a huge would be the largest increase ever frankly in infrastructure it comes at a time when you know we hope to get the economy back on track uh, there'll be lots of growth these investments i think long term are very helpful so yeah i do think the investment's adequate it's uh it's 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 a major uh, surge in spending
0: we're talking with congressman kevin brady republican from texas here on bloomberg sound on it's been a bumpy week for oil, Congressman. I'm sure I don't need to tell you. Uh we're we're stabilizing today. We're back above seventy one dollars a barrel, at least for now. Uh but we were below seventy earlier this week. Now that OPEC has reached a deal on production, I wonder where does that leave shale producers in your state? Can they afford to drill in this environment or is there no point?
2: You know, in short they can. Uh I think the big they've got uh at at sixty and seventy dollars, certainly they can and they will and we're seeing uh, that beginning to reopen. I think, though, you know, the, the biggest obstacles we face. A, it's so frustrating to have the administration begging the Middle East to open up the faucet when, frankly, we have uh, that ability and those uh, resources right here in the U.S. It's also frustrating to see the administration working to to uh, uh, open and forward the Nord Stream Russia Germany pipeline while they are blocking ours here in the U.S. and then. Of course, administrations come up with uh, 11, now 12, uh, major tax increases that will uh, really dampen production, refining, and uh, pipelines here in the United States. And so, I think they see that uh, overall, a sort of attack on uh, traditional energy as, as I think, the biggest challenge is going forward.
0: Talking with Congressman Kevin Brady of Texas and Texas Instruments has been one of our top stories. The earnings report over the past 24 hours here, uh, Congressman, they beat uh, estimates, they beat sales and earnings, but there are a lot of worries about CHIPS right now. I wanted to ask you about this CHIPS Act that uh, still needs to be funded in the House. Would that do enough if we if we gave say the fifty two billion dollars that's in the Senate version to incentivize chip making domestically here is that the right approach? Should we be building foundries here now or is there something else we can do that would help to resolve this a lot more quickly? That would take years to accomplish
2: yeah, yes, it will. I think ultimately we do want uh to see more of that manufacturing here in the united states and and, and that is part of think the broader effort we become we need to become more medically independent from China uh, in medical equipment, supplies, the ingredients. We, we need to look at the key technologies, you know, including chips. That that those production lines need to be anchored in the U.S. and running through reliable, resilient trade partners such as Mexico, and Canada, and others. We think that's that's smart for long term. The question is how to do it. You know, is this uh, a burden for taxpayers that should be uh, undertaken? Uh, is this the issue of creating the right tax incentives so that government isn't picking which industries and which businesses manufacture, but frankly creating the right incentives to anchor that production and accelerate it here in the U.S. As you would guess, I favor the second approach, and uh, we've introduced legislation broader than just the uh, chips there. Bottom line is we are having conversations, those of us who write the tax uh, provisions, with leaders like Michael McCall uh, on this issue, and and I'm hopeful we can find the right solution.
0: Well, as long as the Chinese are reportedly hoarding chips uh, in Beijing, you want to start hoarding chips in Dallas?
2: Yeah. Well, I'll tell you. The other thing that worries me is that if the government is directing the grants and funding on this, they'll direct. You know what types of chip, chips are manufactured to which industries they do. Do they go to? As you know, government often misses the market, the need, the demand. Uh, and also I do worry about this government down direction on chips. I think it's much smarter if we create the right tax incentives and regulatory incentives for them to respond to the market. I think that works better.
0: Congressman Kevin Brady, Republican from Texas, thanks for being with us on Bloomberg. Enjoy your weekend in the home district, and we'll talk to you once we get a deal.
2: <laughs> Thank you, Joe. Take care.
0: As we learn more about the chip shortage as well from the, the new boss at Intel, new CEO, relatively new. Pat Gelsinger says, we are likely through the worst of it. Knowing that it'll take three to four years, he says, to build a fab from scratch, a foundry from scratch. The dearth of semiconductors across many parts of the industry, though, will hit bottom the second half of this year, he told Bloomberg Today, and persist as late as 2023. 2023. Still, by then, won't have those new foundries in place. Coming up on Bloomberg Radio, we'll turn all these issues over to the panel. Insights today from Bloomberg Congressional reporter Stephen Dennis. He will join us next, along with Bloomberg government's Jack Fitzpatrick. We'll have a lot to talk about as we are on the verge of a deal. You just heard Kevin Brady get into this a bit, highlighting some of the red lines that Republicans have and giving us a sense of what may or may not be acceptable as an actual written document could emerge following this weekend's negotiations. Stay here. We'll check traffic next for you and come back as well with the panel. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg.
1: This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Keep hearing how
0: close they are in the Senate to a deal on infrastructure, another deal. But after hearing from Congressman Brady, you realize there are still some big items to negotiate. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki was asked about one of them today spending on transit, whether there's a red line there for President Biden.
3: I'm not setting red lines here, but we are confident that they can work through uh, the funding issues and the the breakdown of funding issues uh, between Democrats and Republicans over the coming days. So
0: let's get into it with Bloomberg congressional reporter Stephen Dennis and Bloomberg government's Jack Fitzpatrick both join me in studio this Friday. Welcome. It's great to have both of you. Stephen, lawmakers sound optimistic when we talk to them for the most part, but how close are we to having something on paper?
3: yeah, I think we're a lot closer than we were a few weeks ago. Uh, they've resolved a lot of the bigger questions, like how they're gonna pay for this largely. And you know, they got rid of some contentious items like ramped up IRS tax enforcement and hiring lots and lots of new IRS agents, which caused heartburn on the right. Now you have heartburn on the left. You have some some Democrats who are saying, hey, Uh, when they're looking at the fine print behind the scenes, saying, look, this is not enough of a guarantee that transit's going to get the 20% in the future years that we want to make sure it gets, instead of 18%. Now, that sounds like a really small discrepancy, but, you know, the numbers that they're talking about are so big here, we're talking about billions of dollars, it might be the difference between whether or not your project in Ohio or Delaware gets money or not. Yeah.
0: Uh, it gives you a sense of, you know, what the personal priorities are here at, at this point, Jack. But I wonder, uh, does anything that does not end up in the bipartisan deal end up in reconciliation? In other words, you're going to get it at some point. We're just not sure which package it'll be in.
5: Well, that's the catch-all, that $3.5 trillion bill that Democrats are, are going to do. Um, I, I don't know if every single transit priority would necessarily get in there. There's a lot left that's up in the air. Really, they've described that next reconciliation bill as the human infrastructure one. Yeah. A lot of Biden's proposals that Republicans didn't want to try to fit into a, a quote-unquote, infrastructure bill. Uh, so, yeah, if you're a, a Democrat, I think it's hard hard to argue, oh, they're just playing small ball, even if you thought they went too small on the infrastructure package, particularly because uh, Speaker Pelosi has said she's going to require that next big bill before she even allows this infrastructure bill to go. But yeah, I mean, when you get into the details, some things could fall through and some members could be unhappy, and then the margins are so close in both chambers, it's going to be a challenge.
3: There is kind of a gentleman's agreement here between the president, however, and these Republican negotiators, that whatever's subject matter ends up in the bipartisan package will not be reopened and added to in the reconciliation package, which is why the fight is so tough right now. And they
0: are holding by that, huh?
3: Well, you know, individual senators are not part of that agreement. (laughs) I think Sherrod Brown told some of our reporters this week, you know, I'm not part of that agreement. I could keep on trying later on. But, you know, I think that you know, the White House has been basically talking about this is the, this infrastructure package, we're going to have a different set of things that we're going to have in that democratic only package. And so, you know, I think that that's causing some heartburn. You have senators who are worried that stuff won't be, be fixed later on or they would, there's no guarantee. So they want to make sure that uh, their priorities are, are dealt with. One of the things that, that's that been a uh, a headache here the last few days is whether water and sewer projects yes. uh, will be guaranteed and mandated uh, funding in this package, or whether they're going to have to keep fighting every year to get the money that they want. And that's one of the last little holdups from uh, Senator Carper, who's uh, you know close to the president, has passed a, a water bill with something like 86, 87 votes out of the Senate. So it's a very popular item, but. You know, they're trying to keep it to five hundred and seventy nine billion dollars. And you know, they've already figured out where they want to spend that money. And so if you decide, okay, well, I want extra over here or extra over there, you have to take it from somebody else. and that that's where it gets hard in the those last moments that's for sure. As we
0: spend time with our panel, Bloomberg Congressional reporter Stephen Dennis, and a familiar voice on this program is in this chair from time to time. Bloomberg Government's Jack Fitzpatrick. Uh, this is going to be the weekend, right? Do we both do you both expect a deal on Monday, Jack? Is this going to happen Monday?
5: Uh, if not Monday, it sounds like they're on track for pretty early next week. I think the last thing that Senator Romney had said was maybe Monday or Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Steve, but okay. I think the timeline is early next week, and we'll have to see exactly how they put the schedule together. But you know, so that's that a pretty could, fast pace. I mean, vary. that
0: could allow for a vote on Wednesday, right?
3: Yeah, I doubt it. I mean, I you think doubt it. Uh, you know, Romney was uh, was thinking it might. Be early this past week, and, and the thing is, is uh, you know, there's that old saying about hard drives that tend to fill up. You know, <laughs> uh, so the, the 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 main backdrop here is the August recess. Senators want to get out of town and go on their vacations or whatever they're going to do in August, and they want to do it on time. Well, that means they have two weeks left. You know, they've kind of puttered around here for several weeks. And chewed up a lot of time. Well time is starting to run out. It doesn't run out on Monday. It doesn't run out on Tuesday. It doesn't run out on Wednesday. But if they don't have a deal in earlyish next week, you know, you're staring at Chuck Schumer probably saying next weekend you're gonna have to work. Oh God, you know for we're, we're gonna we're gonna have to be here next weekend to, to pass this thing because then right after that, he wants to have the Democrats pass a budget resolution which we still haven't seen the details right. of he still has to get all 50 Democrats to vote for, he still has a huge voterama before they leave. So, there's a lot to do on that. And, there's also the the Capitol Police uh, funding package. So, there's a lot of other things that they've got to get done in the next two weeks.
0: Steven and Jack, stay right where you are. We're going to wrap this whole hour with our panel with a couple of other ideas, including China, which we'll tackle next, U.S. sanctions against Chinese officials, have resulted in Chinese sanctions
1: against the U.S. It's next. Broadcasting live from our nation's capital, Bloomberg 991, to New York, Bloomberg 11.3.0, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 9.60, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew.
0: Deputy Secretary of State is headed for China this weekend, dispatched by the president. And what timing as China just today announces retaliatory sanctions following the Biden administration sanctions on Chinese officials in Hong Kong, along with the big warning we talked about earlier this week. We'll get into the significance of this next with James Lewis from the Center for Strategic and International Studies here on SoundOn. China pushes back on the U.S. with sanctions against a group of about a half dozen Americans, including former Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross, in response to recent sanctions on Chinese officials in Hong Kong and the Biden administration's warning against Americans
2: doing business there. Chinese uh, government uh, is not keeping its commitment that it made how would it deal with, with Hong Kong. We're
0: joined now by James Lewis, Senior Vice President and Program Director at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. James, welcome. The timing here is important as Deputy Secretary of State Wendy Sherman prepares to visit China in the next several days.
6: Yes, and the Chinese are sending a message that uh, uh, Deputy Secretary Sherman should expect a bumpy ride when she gets to China. Uh, they are... They're more interested in decoupling than we are, so it's it's going to be messy and probably get messier. We'll see what she gets out of the talks. There are some areas where we can cooperate. There are many more areas where we're going to be in conflict.
0: When you say bumpy ride, are you talking about maybe tough meetings that she'll be in or her entire experience in China?
6: I think the meetings are going to be difficult because the Chinese have no interest in making any concessions to the U.S. They think we're in decline Uh they're the ones who want to decouple more than we do. So, um, whatever they do outside the meetings, inside the meetings, I think it will be a very tough environment.
0: Does Wilbur Ross have anything to worry about?
6: Um, and not unless Wilbur Ross is fine as long as he doesn't take any trips to China. <laughs> okay,
0: I'm not sure he's planning to do that. This is it's interesting here, James. The the sanctions. Uh, were first imposed under China's new anti-foreign sanction law. That was passed just in June. Is this the beginning of a new trend?
6: One of the things the Chinese have been doing is copying the U.S. So we use sanctions. We block foreign investments. uh, We try and block Chinese technology. They're basically copying everything we do. It's important for them to show they're an equal, they're a peer. And so, yes, if we do something, expect them to do it back. uh, Sanctions on individuals always drove the Chinese wild when we did it to them. Um, I'm not sure they'll get the same same effect out of sanctioning Wilbur Ross, but they are definitely copying what we do.
0: White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki said today in the briefing that the U.S. was undeterred by China's move. Do you believe her?
6: Uh, I absolutely believe her. This is largely a symbolic action. Uh, Wilbur Ross has nothing to fear The Chinese want to show Americans can't push us around. We can do what they do to us. They hate these kind of sanctions on individuals. Um, But it's largely for domestic consumption. It's largely a symbolic act. So, uh, you know, if they were indicting or sanctioning sitting officials, that would be different. And they haven't been willing to go that far
0: yet. We're talking with James Lewis, Senior Vice President, Program Director at the Center for Strategic and International Studies following the sanctions uh, announced by China against a group of Americans, about a half dozen of them, including former Secretary Wilbur Ross. Uh, James, some of the other stuff we've seen the actions from the Chinese against their own companies, essentially, with an effort to get to American investors. We've seen a crackdown on U.S. listings of Chinese companies. We've seen them crack down on big tech in their own country that is hurt stocks here owned by Americans, ADRs owned by Americans. Wouldn't you suggest those are much more detrimental, much more meaningful actions against the U.S. than these sanctions?
6: Sanctions, the moves against Chinese companies listing in the United States, uh, the crackdown on Chinese tech companies, it's all part of a larger effort by President Xi to extend control and to push back on what they see as American interference. So this is only the start. Uh, China wants to decouple more than we do. China wants to get the U.S. out of its internal affairs, and that might mean um, forcing companies to list in Shanghai rather than New York. Not in the interest of stock owners, not in the interest of Chinese companies, but it's in the political interest of the Chinese Communist Party.
0: James, getting back to where we started this whole conversation, the visit by Deputy Secretary of State Wendy Sherman. She'll be leaving this weekend for China. What might she accomplish or even try to accomplish? And could that lead to a meeting between President Xi and President Biden?
6: The Chinese definitely want a summit. They're a little myth that uh, President Biden uh, met with Vladimir Putin and not with Xi. It's, you know, they, they, we're a great power, too. Why are you ignoring us? So they, they want the summit. And that gives uh, Deputy Secretary Sherman a little leverage, not a lot. There's a couple areas where we probably will want to cooperate. The Chinese may be willing to do something on climate change. They're probably interested in seeing North Korea be a little more stable. So there's places where we have some overlap, where there's a potential for some progress. But in general, uh, this is going to be a tough series of talks. The Chinese are going to come in asking Germans to confirm that they're not, not only a peer, they're actually superior. So they, they've actually said, we want to reinforce America's understanding of China's new position in the world. And that means tough talks of any concessions on, from the Chinese on trade, on cyber spying, on technology. But maybe we can make some progress on Korea and climate change, because that's the, probably the only two places where we have shared interests.
0: James Lewis, Senior Vice President, Program Director at the Center for Strategic and International Studies, we thank you for your time today on Bloomberg Radio. A statement from the Chinese embassy, quote, The U.S., it reads, has concocted the so-called Hong Kong Business Advisory to groundlessly smear Hong Kong's business environment and illegally impose sanctions on several officials. It goes on to say, in response to the erroneous practice on the U.S. side, China's decided to take reciprocal countermeasures. Unquote. You might have heard earlier on Bloomberg Radio, a Bloomberg report that the PRC is considering asking tutoring companies there to turn nonprofit. It made a mess of stocks in those companies. Tall Education Group was down over 70% today. New Oriental Education and Tech Group down over 50%. And Chinese ADRs were down hard again today. Alibaba down four percent, JD down five percent, Ten Cent down four percent, Pinduo Duo down seven i could go on it was steep selling and steep losses continue in shares of chinese-based companies coming up we'll talk about this and what to expect next week here in washington inside the beltway with a lot on the line as we bring back bloomberg congressional reporter stephen dennis and bloomberg government's jack fitzpatrick next on bloomberg sound on stay with us we'll check the markets and traffic next i'm joe matthew this is
6: bloomberg
1: This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio.
0: Thanks for being with us and Good Friday. Bloomberg Sound On it's brought to you by Withum, a forward-thinking advisory and accounting firm offering industry expertise and innovative solutions for your business. Experience the Withum way. Innovative, adaptive, effective, trusted. Visit Withum.com for more. Next week should be one to remember around here in Washington as the Deputy Secretary of State heads for China. We were just discussing that with James Lewis. An infrastructure bill is expected to emerge from negotiations at some point. And, oh, then there's the debt ceiling. Who says nothing ever happens around here? So good thing we have Bloomberg government's Jack Fitzpatrick with us and Bloomberg congressional reporter Stephen Dennis as we round out the hour. Thanks again to both of you for being here Uh, Jack, I don't know if you heard our conversation with James Lewis, but there are deep concerns about China on both ends of Pennsylvania Avenue, and we've got retaliatory sanctions in place today. Of course, President Biden was talking about doing business in Hong Kong and implementing sanctions against Chinese officials there uh, just about a week ago. Uh, Is there a path in Congress to approach what's going on in China right now? Or is this really something that, uh, that the executive is going to be dealing
5: with? Uh, actually, coincidentally, a lot of stuff with China is coming up in Congress. It's really been under the radar. I think actually the spending bills that I'm covering that are coming up in the House next week are chock full of China. It, it basically, it, every kind of tough on China measure you could have added in. Uh, some of this is messaging stuff. There's a ban on any money going to the Wuhan Insta- Institute of virology, which, you know, that funding was frozen anyway. Uh, there's all sorts of stuff in there focused on military, uh, it, it, no funds uh, to go to anything that would support the Belt and Road Initiative. Congress has taken this up. They don't have that executive authority. But when you talk to lawmakers about China, um, really both parties now feel the need, probably more pushed by Republicans, yeah. but Democrats are, are largely on board with a much more of a tough on China approach. I
0: know earlier this week, we were dealing with China requiring- recruiting scientists, for instance, Mm -hmm. from the U.S. Stephen, it is one of those few bipartisan issues, I guess, on Capitol Hill.
3: Oh, yeah. And, and, you know, the Senate's already passed this big semiconductor-slash-China bill aimed at trying to bring back some uh, chip plants to the United States. You know, Chuck Schumer was in New York uh, touting the plans for an expansion of a chip factory there. This is uh, something where... I think the Republicans saw it as something they could run against Biden on in in the midterms. And the Democrats were like, well, we're going to get out in front of that and we're going to put it on the floor. And, you know, got a big vote in the Senate. There's still kind of a messy situation in the House as far as the path forward for that bill. But, you know, there's tens of billions of dollars in there for science, for research, for uh, semiconductors. So I I do see... uh, this is, is, is something that really does have bipartisan support when you have chips shutting down you know truck plants and car yes. plants all over the country they're, they're in red states and blue states and those are jobs that uh, that uh, it, you know people want to make sure are back up and running quickly.
0: Congresswoman Haley Stevens yesterday, a Democrat, and uh, Congressman Kevin Brady today, of course, a Republican and a, and a high ranking Republican in the House, both got to this chip issue, both pointed to jobs just like Stephen did, Jack, to say, you know, GM shutting down for a week pickup truck production next week because of this 13000 jobs in Michigan on the line. This is. This is a major political issue I suspect we'll be hearing about through the summer.
5: Yeah, the CHIPS issue in particular, because for one, there, there are national cons- security concerns when you allow uh, a critical object to be produced very heavily by a foreign entity with an right. adversarial <laughs> government, but also uh, the CHIPS issue gets into the production shortages right now with vehicles. That's been a significant part of, uh, you know, Jerome Powell even mentioned that as a Contributing factor to the inflation that we've seen yep. is a broad economic issue and I think Steve's right that Republicans wanted to bring up China as a, a something to bludgeon Democrats with and largely Democrats have said no we can't really cede that ground we have to take some tough measures as well, well that's that's
0: going to be something
5: we're talking about next week
0: once again along with of course infrastructure we touched on some of this uh, but I want to uh, get to some of the comments we heard today from Senator Bill Cassidy, who spoke with Bloomberg's David Weston, of course, Republican from Louisiana, speaking very optimistically, he was smiling through the whole interview, but spoke specifically when David asked him about the, the matter of paying for all of this.
2: Folks will always find a problem with our pay-fors. They will always find a problem. On the other hand, um, um, we will have it paid for, and we will be able to not just pay for it, but point towards long-term gains the society will,
3: the economy will benefit from, according to multiple economists across the political spectrum.
0: That all sounds great, Stephen, but have we figured out how to pay for it?
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, the the pay-for is, I kind of call them couch-cushion pay-fors. This is not a whole lot of pain. You know, pain is when you go out and you say, okay, We're going to cut Medicare providers or we're going to increase taxes on corporation XYZ. They didn't want to do that. So they looked around for couch cushion money, money that isn't going to be spent anyways. And they could say, well, hey, look at this pot of money that I am going to, quote unquote, save. um, Or things that are probably going to happen anyways. There's a big sort of a Medicare drug rebate rule, which is really hard to explain. But it involves pharmacy benefit management. Uh, companies that are sort of like the middlemen of the drug market, delaying that rule uh, or killing that rule saves a lot of money for the government. But it's sort of like, it's not something that people are going to notice. It hasn't been implemented, probably never was going to be implemented. Uh, It's going to be superseded by lots of other things. So, You know, uh, senators, uh, for as long as I've covered them, do not like to do things that cause their constituents pain. And so they've managed to cobble together, you know, half a trillion dollars or so of couch cushion money. And they can say, hey, we're not going to raise taxes. But, you know, somewhere, somewhere down the line, you're still going to have – the fact that we have a gas tax revenue source that hasn't been increased since 1993 and cars are getting more fuel efficient or going electric, they haven't solved a long-term problem here. This is sort of a very large can kick for about five years. And in about five years, we're all going to be having this discussion again of, you know, what do we do now that the electric cars are maybe, instead of 1% or 2%, or maybe 5 or 10% um, and so on. So, you know, it's, it's, I, this is not like the deal that the Reagan cut with Tip O'Neill to, you know, solve social security for 20 or 30 years. This is a 5-year type deal, maybe 8 years. We'll we'll see what the details end up looking like.
0: So, Jack, we add the debt ceiling to all of this. Now, it was set to expire at the end of this month, right? The the technically the CBO this week said that it, we would actually default in October, I think was the idea, right? So we have a little bit of time to play with this. Is this going to end up in reconciliation like Mitch McConnell said? That's
5: a tough one, and actually the effective deadline they're, they're very vague on. The yeah. CBO said October or November, but <laughs> okay. maybe sooner, and then there was a warning today from Janet Yellen that this could happen shortly after the lawmakers come back from their August recess. So How do it, we not know? Uh, it, because the deadline deadline is the beginning of August, and then it's a matter of how many payments that can they delay, how much cash can they keep on hand, there's $150 billion due to be paid on October 1st, that one single day. So it's very difficult. It, it's like they are blindfolded on a raft headed to a, a waterfall, and they don't know when they're going to go off the waterfall, but they know wow. it will happen. So there needs to be a deal soon. It can be done through reconciliation, but then Democrats would have to own that politically and That's say, right. we increased this. Which that would exactly be exactly. In- what Mitch McConnell wants. yeah, And
3: and exactly what the Democrats don't want. I've talked to a lot of Democrats this week who are like, let me get this straight. We helped the Republicans increase the debt limit year after year, even though we didn't like that income tax cut for for the corporations and the wealthy, and now you're going to hold it hostage again, or try to hold it hostage again? This is why
0: Chuck Schumer says, this is Trump debt we're talking about, right? uh, To remind everybody.
3: It's, you know, it's a lot of, uh, even if the Congress didn't spend any more money um, between now and, you know, September. If they didn't spend no more money, uh, even if they hadn't passed that $1.9 trillion rescue package, our annual deficits are a $1 trillion a year. They're $80 billion a month on average. You need to raise the debt limit or else you're going to have, you know... The the, first
0: default in history?
3: Well, I mean, you know, you might not... Have a default on payments, on interest on the debt, but you could say, okay, well, we can't make payroll uh, at at certain departments, or the Social Security checks can't go out. I mean, we haven't had that kind of a situation where we've actually gone over the cliff. In 2011, we came very close, and the markets were rattled, consumer confidence tanked, Uh Uh, interest rates wobbled. Uh, we had a credit downgrade from one of the main credit rating agencies. It was not a great situation, although the Republicans look back at that and they say, OK, well, we got a couple trillion dollars in spending cuts out of it over a decade. Mm-hmm. So they, you know, they're kind of of two minds of that. But, you know, right now the Democrats have the majority in both houses. They have the White House. They can use reconciliation. It's not a question of whether the debt limit's going to be raised. It's a question of when. How much can they? How far can they kick the can on it this time? And they've got to get you know on like everything else. They got to get Joe Manchin and Bernie Sanders. But and don't both everybody of you guys, on board. having
0: covered Washington for some time, think it's gonna it'll have to be lifted?
5: It absolutely has, it has to. to. And it's every
3: Democrat and knows house. that, including <laughs> Joe Manchin, who said there will not be a debt default.
0: You heard it from Jack Fitzpatrick here and Stephen Dennis. Our panel today. I'm Joe Matthew. Have a great weekend. See if we get some news on Monday. Stay with us, I'm Joe Matthew.